Totally. Hola amigos, welcome to Willie's View Podcast. And I am so honored we have Michael Ross in the studio. And you all know him in the media as a creator and the writer of the web series Footprints. Welcome, Michael. Hi, thank you for having me. This is exciting. Oh my god. I I've got goosebumps because I just love your series. It's so thank exciting so and riveting and I write too. I'm a writer too. And um I, yeah. I just love writing. I think everybody in themselves has that ability to write, but a lot of people are just kind of shy. Because, you know, growing up, people kind of tease and say that you're not this, you're not that, or you're not good enough. And the writers people like, are shy, yeah. and people doubt, you doubt yourself, and you also think, oh no, what if it's not perfect when I put it down, or what if it's not good? Yes. And the point is, as you do it, you're like, oh, it's, it's never really good when I put it down. The point is to put it down so I can make it good. Yes, and I'm so excited that you are branching out. As a writer, and um, just you're breaking the barriers, you and so many other writers along me that were were trending, and we're showing people it's okay. You can write. You can write this. A fan fiction can be real. And see what happens. Yes. The the feedback and the support is what you need to, to sort of get to the next level. Yes. So before we kick off the Q and A, I always ask this of all of my guests: um, where where are you at, and how has COVID affected your area? Oh, and how's the weather? Uh, oh, well, actually, that goes together. I am in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and it is amazing because it is gloomy and gray today, and like in the sixties, and we have had such a miserable heat wave for the last few weeks. Like, it was getting up to, like, 98 degrees. I'm mm-hmm. so sick of it. I know people are dealing with hurricanes and worse weather, so I can only complain so much. Oh, yeah. But, like, in September, I would love to be able to put on a long sleeve shirt and not feel like I'm going to burn to death. So, some October gloom is super welcome. Um, COVID was obviously, you know, sort of a big factor here. My fiancé and I were really, really fortunate in that, We both work from home, so that was not a huge deal. Um, We actually spent sort of the first big chunk of lockdowns out in Palm Springs because we were like, let's just remove ourselves from society even more if we can't do anything. Um, So we sort of actually had a a really, really fortunate lockdown set. Um, And thankfully, I mean, obviously, I think everybody sort of, you know, lost someone during covid Yes. Um, my grandparents passed away at the very beginning, not of COVID, but it was difficult because they were in New York and they were in their late nineties. It just, it happened to be their time. And I sort of joke, but I think I'm kind of tapping into the truth. I think they said like, Oh, what is this? We're not doing this. Like we've done enough. We're just, we're yes. not dealing with this Amen. anymore. And they just kind of went, uh, but we were just able to have their memorial service about a month ago. So I mean, it was, it was two and a half years. So that Aww. was difficult. Well, my heart that goes out like, to you. My heart oh, goes out you. to you. I lost my aunt during this COVID oh, pandemic, sorry. so I understand. I feel that, and I've warned, I've told everybody this. Um, Olivia Newton John said it perfectly when she said that it felt like something out of the Bible and a perfect reset. 
because it's like we were taking things for granted. And yes. with the pandemic, it was kind of like a wake-up call. I think there's definitely an element of, obviously, look, this was very difficult. A lot of people suffered. People yeah. died. People lost their jobs. People lost their homes. But I do think, I mean, any sort of extreme hardship or struggle like that, there's an opportunity to find silver linings or, or things that you might not be looking yes. for that really do serve to reset you and reset your priorities. I know I felt a lot of that. It was like, what's actually important to me, which is like my family, my creative outlets. I mean, um, yeah, because you had families that were abusing their, um, they weren't appreciating their family. They were overworking yeah. themselves. And with COVID, yeah. it made people stay home. And bars were shut down and all that. And I'm okay with that because look at all the family unities that were stronger now. You, have to, family. you really have to sort of focus in. And actually, this is funny. My brother, who has a very corporate job, he's very successful. He was working from home for, I don't know, probably like eight months. Mm -hmm. And at the end, when they were ready to go back to the office, he kind of threw up his hands and he was like, I'm looking for an easy, like a job where I can work remotely. And... He was my family more. He has two little kids. He was like, I'm not missing their childhoods by mm -hmm. being in the office till 9 p.m. So he, he like, they have dad home a lot more now because I think his priorities were a little bit reset. It was like, what's the trade-off of, of money and stuff versus like seeing my kids grow up? Oh, amen. Amen. I've got my son that's in college and throughout most oh of God, his years. Yes, through most of the years. I hate to regret this, but um, I was like him, like your brother. Um, I used to work so much. I used to work so much like a dog, just yeah. wear myself out. And I missed out so much opportunity with him. But with my teenage daughter, I have the blessing of being home with her. I'm, yeah. I'm an independent, you know, I'm an independent romance novelist. So with the blessing of God, I can write at home. I can work from home. I can do my yeah. podcast at home, but the point is that I'm right here with my daughter and I'm here for all the special moments. So, so it's kind of like a pick and choose. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, I, I think that perspective is really great. Like it really made you go, what's important and what do I need? Not just what do I want or, or what mm -hmm. am I doing because other people tell me I need to be doing it. It's like, what is essential? What is important? Where does my what deserves my energy? And I do think people, a, a lot of people, hopefully found some of that during what was a pretty crappy situation. Yes. Well, I'm out here in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's a wonderful 70 outside. That sounds lovely too. <laughs> it is just I'm like I'm ready for. Fall, I'm ready for... Well, we're fall. We're fall already, but, you know, it's Texas. We get unpredicted yeah. weather. You know, we get the backwards of stuff. We get, like, summer weather and mixed with fall, and it's mm -hmm. crazy, but Texas is... You know, we get the bad rap, but you know what? I love Texas. I've got my family Are here. I've got my... Born and raised in Texas? Yes, amen, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that's home, man. Yes, and, you know, I know we've got the crazy... Governor Abbott that makes yep. us look bad, but you know what? I'm I'm hoping that with changes coming, with people that are out there wanting to be actually in charge of something, um, maybe with Beto in charge, maybe things can yeah. change. 
But like I said, you know, this and, and like you you were talking about, it all happens through growth. If we don't vote, then we don't have a voice. I, I, I do think also the not to get too off topic, obviously. But oh like, no no. The mess of twenty twenty, I think, really did make a lot of people more aware, like, oh, I can have a voice in this as opposed to it just being something that happens out there. Yeah. I totally agree. What got you started as a writer that you are today? Um, you know what? I I think even before I was what I would call a writer, because I was so young, I was a writer. Um, I have two younger brothers. Who are, they're only a couple of years younger than me. And my favorite things to do when we played were sort of basically make up stories. I remember my dad built us this huge table in the garage that we would play Legos on. And we would set up um, those like Lego road pieces to basically make a town. Mm-hmm. And because I was the oldest and partly because I'm bossy and partly because I'm creative and whatnot, I would sort of direct my brothers. So it was like, okay, you're in charge of those two houses. I'm in charge of these two houses. And we would basically play out what was a soap opera with our Legos. Like, <laughs> oh, no, the <laughs> oh my God, you and me could have been besties. I love doing that as a writer, right? You get, you get ideas. Like, I know, I know you're going to laugh, but when I was little, I was like, I had action figures and I was, I made everyone's minds. They were like shocked because I literally created storylines out of my action figures and that led to my extra, you know, more writing. It's just like, I think there's a certain creative wiring and it's like, Mm. I look back, I was eight years old doing that. And then, you know, I love, we love Ninja Turtles, but I was like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to make a Ninja Turtles movie. I'm sure it was terrible. Like we were using my parents' camcorder. Yeah, yeah. I remember writing a script in a notebook, but I remember coming up with this whole plot where April O'Neil fell in love with this guy and didn't realize he was the shredder by night. Oh my God. There was just this weird soapy instinct in me from the time I was a kid. And I, when I was, I think 13, uh, my aunt, and my grandma had always watched days of our lives in another world. And I never really paid attention, but it was always just floating in the background. Yes. Um, Yes. And one of my friends at school, this was, I was in junior high when, Marlena was possessed on days. So everyone at school, like it was just a weird time where like 12 year olds were watching soaps because days was so buzzy and crazy and fun. And I got sucked into it then. And I remember going, holy crap, there's 30 years of stuff that has happened before this. And I was just so. Yes. Oh my God. The mythology and the backstory. And I got a coffee table book and I, started reading online and I learned all the history and the family. Oh trees. yeah. It's addictive. It's addictive. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it. When I was 10 years old, I used to watch and, and I still do. I, I love love boat, but my aunt okay. tricked me and she's like, we want to watch love boat, but you got to watch Erica Kane first. And I'm like, Ooh, Erica yeah. Kane. And that's how they get you, you know, cause adults. So I had to wait and wait. And I got hooked to the world of all my children. And it branched yeah. out to the rest of the soaps. So I was like little boy, but I was watching all the older stories like that people are just not watching now. Like, uh, was it Beth and Lou Jack on Guiding Light? You know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And Reva Shane. Oh my God. I was admired by Reva Shane. Um, 
and I get what you're saying. I was like that too. The world just opened up for me even more as a writer, and you know, I'm like, 100%. yes, I'm like, oh, I want to write some stories, and it, it it innovated me to to where I branched out as a writer, and, and instead of just you know just going to school and doing my thing. I would write, and my teachers were like, this is so good. We're going to get you published and this and this, or you need to get yourself published and all this. And the, Yeah, it takes that process, but... It just I'm, absorbs you. Yes. I, I, you know, I was a kid. I didn't have a ton of friends. I was a dorky kid. I was a little gay boy, and... I was a book yeah, nerd. Like, I was a book nerd in school, so we probably would have been friends. Yeah, you just you, you kind of find your, your thing. And I was like, I, was, I wanted yeah. friends, and I was lonely, for, but like... I could sort of retreat into these these worlds of fiction. Yes. And it was like it was always so comforting. And I do think that's part of why I have continued footprints for all these years is because there's some link to a younger version of myself. Um, I just became so enamored of gays, and then I started, you know, I would my mom, God bless her, would like buy me soap opera digest at the checkout stand. Yes. And yes. I'd read all the recaps, and I was like, oh my god, there's like 12 of these shows, and then I got all the coffee table books. Like, I was 14, saving up my money to go buy, like, the Young and the Restless coffee table book, so I could read all the, the history, and I, was, I just remember thinking, like, oh, it would be so cool to create one of these, and I, see, I remember this so clearly, probably to an unhealthy degree, but... I was 14, and the, the computer that my brothers and I used was in my room. And I stayed up the entire night one night writing what was basically a Bible for footprints. Oh, I, like, I believe I just was you. like, okay, so I'm going like, to start with this family. And, and it was, I mean, it, it was, <laughs> I still have it. I have a hard copy of this Bible. It was garbage. But, and I was so, so influenced by, like, that James E. Riley era of days. Oh, yes. Yes, I get you. I get you. It was you. my entry point, and it was you know. It was oh ridiculous. my god! And but like it was so fun and electric and crazy. And yeah. I wrote a Bible that when I think I, I wrote this in 1997, and I think the stories in it went up to like 2008. Um, and that's the Bible. I mean, that still is the basis of the series. Like I started, I took that, and then I found this community called the Epi Guide, um, which is where I met uh, Dallas, who you had on recently as well. Yes, and, Dallas is such a such a treat, yes. Yeah, I've, I've known Dallas online for 20-something years, which is terrifying. Oh my God, I love this. I love um, this. <laughs> but there were other people doing these, these text-based web series, and meeting those people, hey, I'm still friends with several of them, but... In addition to that, they were all adults. They had, they had a, I think, a more sophisticated sense of both writing in general and of soap opera because mm-hmm. they had a, a scope that was outside that sort of James E. Riley possessed Marlena thing. Yes. So it really, I think, pushed me to improve. And I remember they did reviews. And I got kind of like a so It was like, this has some potential. It's really broad. It's really melodramatic. But it pushed me to improve and improve and improve. So I started publishing episodes. And I just... That yes. was October 1997, mm-hmm. and we are recording this on October 1st, 2022, and I have never stopped writing this series. I love that. Um, I don't know if you've checked it out yet, but um, me and my other hostess on my other podcast, which is uh, 
Creative Inc. Willie and Cassie podcast. Um, we created our own original series. It's like it's kind of like doing a fan fiction, but you're. Is that Arizona? Yes. Oh my god. I just saw it on your Twitter. I need to check it out. It is. Oh my god. I had so much fun with everybody, and they all enjoyed it, which shocked me. I know it's going to be good and fun, but I didn't know it was going to be like a roller coaster ride. Everybody who's everybody wants to be on it, and I'm like. Okay, so then I renewed it for like a second season, but I'm loving it. See, what I do is I twisted it. It's 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 like you're writing a fan fiction, so that's one thing. Then you got the voiceovers speaking for that character, mm-hmm. and you bring it to life. It, I mean, just having access to being able to do that is so. Incredible it's amazing because I'm getting so many responses, like just people, you know, like the celebrities alone. Like if I'm talking, like. I make a character that's based off, like, let's say Amy Grant. Mm-hmm. And she gets it because I tag the actors so they can get a, you know, an idea of what I'm doing as a writer. And uh-huh. they love it. I've written, I've sent to, um, you know, um, I believe Tanya, you remember Tanya Walker? Alex, uh, what's her name? One Life to Live. One Life to Live, yes. Okay. Um, I, you'll laugh, but I used to tag her so many times on my fan fiction, and she got addicted to it, so it was cute. Oh my god, that's amazing. I know, it's just like, oh my god, like, can you imagine an actual, you know, celebrity that you grew up watching. That's incredible. Enjoying your stories, it's like, oh, no pressure, but, oh my god, and then I started to write characters for her, and stories. Yes, yes. But this is why I was bringing it up was because um, I want to bring like you and we got Dallas. I want to bring all of you writers onto my um, Arizona Heat because I'm bring, creating characters and stories. But by bringing you all in, it adds more traffic for all of you. So your readers and our listeners can see that there is more than just writing now. We can branch out. In this world of podcasting, but in a whole new innovative way. That's, I mean, such a, a huge part of this for me is I, I always say I would be doing this anyway because I'm one of those people. I think you're probably wired the same way where, like, I need to be writing or creating something. Like, it's just a, if I go, th- you know, three or four days without yeah. writing, I feel this, like, kind of crazy energy. Like, I need Oh, I'll to get do depressed. It. I'll get depressed yeah. when I got sick because I was diagnosed already. Ooh, going three, four years now on um, a blood clot in my lungs. And it tore me down, you know, just depression. But I'm like, I got like bad news. Like maybe I wouldn't be able to ride or this or this for a little bit. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't don't care what it takes. I you can't take my writing away from me. That to me is like my kryptonite. I've got to have something that is me. Or I lose myself, literally. It's such a... That's the thing is, you really... I mean, you know, it's all fiction. It's crazy. It's elevated. But... And I learned this more in the older and hopefully more experience I get. Mm-hmm. Is you find pieces of yourself in this stuff, but it's not just like... It's not a literal translation of your life. But it's like, ooh, I can use this character who is batshit crazy to channel this, like, yes. weird impulse I sometimes have that I repress because I'm a civilized member of society. Um, you know, you, you test out 
relationship dynamics and fights yeah. that you have with people in your head that you're not going to have in real life and resentments and and longings like it, it's just a way to, to sort of experience things through a, a more removed lens amen yeah i always i always uh uh, tease people with saying that it, for me it started off like a passion project and it just grew from there. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And it has to stay one to a degree because yes. obviously, like, you need that passion or you're just, I mean, it's too much damn work. But <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, I, 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 is it just you? Is it just you doing the series or do you have, it's just me. oh, dude, you're like me. I'm a one hand man too. And I've got my, other writers that have just started joining with me, and it's amazing. I love working with other people. But when you're a one-on-one person, you know how it is. It's like you're literally the writer, the creator, the executive producer. You're doing your own mm-hmm. thing, and it feels really good because you're not. I love. Yeah. Sort of. I love steering the ship, but I do. I, I love collaboration, and I've over the years I've had a couple of friends. I'd say three or four friends who have sort mm-hmm. of stepped in and like you know, written scenes here and there, and it's never really worked long-term, partly just because, like, I sort of forget, like, you know, people have actual lives, and, like, writing a 3,000-word episode once a week is a pretty big commitment, so, like, it's hard for people, but I have a great friend who um, used to be involved in the FBI community, and he just sort of, I don't want to say grew up out of it, but, like, he's living an adult life now, but he we text and email and talk all the time and he's sort of my sounding board for footprints and I'll go like, Uh, okay, I have this idea. Is this stupid? Does this make sense? And he's really good at going, love the idea, but remember this person did this, so it might be redundant. You might want to shift it to this character. Yes. It just, that back and forth is super useful, I find. Yeah. Well, I definitely want you to be um, uh, involved with um, Arizona Heat for this season because, um, like I said, I want to get everybody involved. And you would love it. What I do is just create your character just like you would in your own stories. The only difference is we just bring it to life by having you voice it. Cool. Well, let me know. I'm, I'm yeah, happy. definitely, definitely. Um, any reservations that occurred during your process of success? Mm, I think, I mean, aside from, you know, the, the self-doubt of am I good mm-hmm. enough? Why am I doing this? Is You mm-hmm. read something that's amazing and you're like, oh, I'm never going to be that good. Um, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is obviously this is a a side pursuit, and it, you know it's one of my passions. Right. That said, like the older you get, the more actual commitments you have, and I've always sort of wondered: is there going to come a point in my life where I just don't have space for this? And so far, that has not come true. Um, I mean, I started. I was 14. I was a sophomore in high school when I started doing this. I took it with me to college. I got through college. I took it with me to grad school. I got through grad school. Um, got through, you know, I started my career. I, I've done it while working. I, there have been months where like things are really crazy and I only have time to publish like two episodes. Like that's, but it's, I've become okay with just going, there's going to be a quiet period and then it'll rev back up and just knowing the rhythm. But I do think that, um, the tug of real life and, and commitments and it's like i have a fiance i have a career we have a dog we're gonna have children so it's like oh congratulations thank yeah thank you just just finding a place for it like and, and i think i know that place and sometimes the answer is like things are really busy and i'm gonna pick a random wednesday and just get up at four thirty in the morning make my coffee and just write for two hours and then i've got my episode for the week i'm so excited for 
for all of that and for your um your future of adopting children believing oh it's, God, it's, it's 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 wonderful <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that um let's see um what would you say is the most beneficial rewards from your web series I mean, I think as, as we discussed, like the, the creative outlet is obviously like invaluable, mm-hmm. but there's this whole sense of community I've found. Like my friend who helps me out, for example, like I don't know that we'd be as good of friends as we are. We didn't sort of have this thing to talk about all the time. He's in Ohio. So like we're not seeing each other all the time, but we have a thing that keeps that keeps our friendship going. I've met so many people and you, you just find you find sort of these like minded people. Yes. And I think for someone who started out writing because you know, you just didn't necessarily you were a loner or you were a book nerd or you were awkward, to find community through a passion I think is huge. So to me that's been the biggest you know, story and accolades and whatever aside. Um I think the, the sense of community and the fact that I'm a, I'm a uh, TV writer by, for my career. So I think this was the absolute best training I could have had. And whenever I think, like, do I have space for this? I think, yeah, I have space for it because this is keeping me writing. So mm, yes, I'm exactly. practicing my writing. I'm testing out ideas. I'm testing out character voices and scene construction and all that. So it's, oh. also, it's literally benefited my career. Oh my God! Wait till you get yourself on on Arizona Heat. Your fiance's gonna like. Is that you on the podcast? <laughs> it's cute. It's so addictive. You'll love it. Um, I'm gonna have to go off script for on this one, but my next question's gonna have to be out of here. Um, what created your thoughts in creating such an aspiring series that you created that you titled it Footprints? Where? Where is it so, originated from? I'm still almost shocked that I came up with this title in retrospect. Because I'm like, wow, my 14-year-old brain is kind of working. You, are you familiar with that poem? I, I am not super religious. I was raised Catholic, but like... The only thing, when I saw Footprints, it literally caught my attention because I'm, I'm also a poet. And when I saw it, I remember there's like a poem called Footprints. So this exactly brought my attention. It. And I'm like, oh, it's not a poem. It's a series. And like... Even better. And then I just so the started getting hooked like really, that. It was that poem was sort of the launching point. And the point of the poem is like, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you only see one set of footprints in the sand, the idea is that God is carrying you through. And, in, and I've sort of refined this over the years thematically. Mm-hmm. But the, the central theme of the series is, is all about connection. And it's even when you feel like you're walking alone, who is with you? Um, and I, I try to reflect that sort of in the series, the material, the, the logos and the, the graphics and stuff. Like I love that. I gotta that, get you. I gotta get you with me alone? on that. Who's yeah. Who's with us physically? Who's with us in spirit? Um, mm-hmm. And that's really what every storyline is ultimately about. I think is is that thing. It's not religious. I, I do think some people interpret it probably as religious, and they're like, "Wait, this is not religious at all." Um, but that that's sort of the the seed of origin, I guess. Oh, I love that. So, um, how long have you been writing the series for? 25 years today. Nice. Congratulations. Thank you. And I think I you teased when we were talking. Stopped. I think you teased when we were talking that you've got a new banner out. 
I did. I, so what I'm doing for the 25th, I like, I used to redesign the website yeah. for the big anniversaries and stuff. And I, I like the site we have now. I am not a web designer. I'm not a graphic designer. I, I have a functional understanding enough to do it. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the site as is. But what I've done as of October 1st is I've gone through, we've redesigned the header image that you'll see at the top of the website. Um, we're using new graphics. We, we switched it up with sort of the font presentation. It's just it's a refresh. Okay. Um, going into your closet and putting on a new outfit for a, a special occasion. Um, same site, just just a fun new look. We have a new um, promo banner out, sort of teasing yeah. the big storyline that's going to be taking place during this 25th anniversary, which is already in progress. Um, and we're doing... I love to do this for anniversaries. I'm releasing... Uh, daily episodes the week of October 10th. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, new episode every day, just like daytime soaps. Dude, I love that. It's awesome. Um, it's so fun to do that. It's so stressful, but so fun. Any inspiration that leads back to the writers of the past? Um, okay, so I, obviously I mentioned James E. Riley. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the original. Again, I just find that era of days, I know it's ridiculous, but there's just a fun energy but I do think, so I was telling you about that original Bible I had. I think around 2000, 2001 was when I got really into uh, As the World Turns. Mm-hmm. It was the that period where uh, Hogan Shepard took over. And the show, like, something just clicked. And it was, it had a sort of James Riley type energy, but it did feel a little more sophisticated. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. It was just, it, it felt like the canvas was mixing in ways. I, one thing that I, I'm always so critical of, of early footprints is it's very the Days of Our Lives 90s template. Like, there's four major stories. They're all a love triangle. Usually one person a love triangle is a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when Hogan took over as the world turns, and in retrospect, I know that era has a lot of detractors, and I get it, but I remember being like, different threads were crossing in such interesting ways. Characters were moving from one sphere into another. Did you ever watch that show? For As the World Turns? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. I I was admired because I love the writers. But if you look at it really close, almost everybody who's anybody was always living in that awesome farm. Oh, yeah, I know. The, the Snyder farm. With Emma Snyder, I swear I, I could literally feel... Being in that kitchen and just wanting to eat with Emma in the kitchen. That's sort of how I feel, honestly, about, like, the Horton living room on days. Like, I see that living room, mm-hmm. and it, it, it almost is like going to my grandparents' house. I love that. Like, it just has that power. And uh, the other sort of inspiration I was going to say is that era of world turns um, sort of opened me up to looking into the history and then the next real inspiration that I think has sort of borne through the rest of Footprints mm-hmm. was Douglas Marlin and those years where he was running As the World Turns. Like, his 80s and early 90s stuff at that show was just so um, sophisticated and it was much more complex and emotional and character-based. And mm-hmm. I think I rewrote my Bible in 2001 to sort of move forward reflecting more of that sensibility. I do think what I'm doing now is sort of, I finally sort of found my own balance, but it really combines those styles. Um, I love using history and I love just like, not just mentioning it, but really creating situations that force the characters to talk about and reflect on and be impacted by 
stuff that happened 20 years ago. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I have the history to do that now. So I think those, the, those Marlin years were very formative for me going back to them. I like that. I'm glad that you have that inspiration. That it, And it shows with your writing, because like I said, I'm very intrigued by your series. And I can tell with the detail that you put into it, it definitely is um, one of those that I could see that could be like the bay, you know, out on oh, streaming you. apps and everything, you know, just all that good stuff. Um, if you ever decide to do that, let me know. And we uh, definitely can do campaign here on the podcast and get your absolutely. listeners you. right on it, you know, get you on that, that train to uh, platforms. Cool. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Which characters are the most fun to write for? Ooh, okay. So probably everyone says this, but like <laughs> the bad characters are yes. always fun. Yeah. Because you're channeling these instincts you have, or you're getting to just be, when you write those characters, you get to sort of be a different, worse person. Uh huh. Um, so, to a degree, those characters. Diane is sort of my, she was my main antagonist. She's, she's sort of softened. She's, I would say she's matured, okay. um, but she's been going since the beginning of the series and she's, she's, she's smart. She's, she's bitchy, but in a really sort of measured way. Um, she's, she's portrayed quote unquote by Lisa Rinna, which cracks me up because I've now, I love that. Lisa, I love that as writers, we do that. We had that fantasy. Sort of bled into mm-hmm. it. She's a favorite. Her sister Natalie. It was like I was. It was interesting introducing a bitchy sister of a bitchy character because I had to be like, <laughs> how are these different people? How are they not just the same? And Natalie is much more. I don't want to say dumber, but she's much more impulsive and listens to her base instincts and gets in over her head in a way that Diane doesn't. Yeah. Often because Diane steps back and goes, "What's the big picture? What's my goal?" And it's like a tactical strike. So they're fun, and I've really been enjoying the last God, the last decade or so finding things in the good characters to really make them compelling. Um, like Molly was one of the original; she's a member. She's a member of the the core family. She was one of the main heroines when I started the series, and she was kind of a drip because she was just like she was the good girl, and her sister was the the fun, dynamic, sort of misbehaving one. And I think in recent years, I've found something in her, which is like, I really dig into why does her sister resent her? And it's because she was always the favorite because she's an overachiever and she expects too much of people. And frankly, like she's kind of a passive aggressive bitch. And, but like, that's a real person and being able to lean into that and find those characterizations. Like she's a good guy who I now find super fun to write Mm -hmm. because she's going to be a little too hard on people. And she's not going to be able to catch herself in time before she says the wrong thing. And I think dirtying up the good guys has been really, really rewarding. I'm not making them serial killers and rapists and murderers. I'm just putting some dirt on their hands and and accepting people are not good or bad, generally. There are bad people, but even those bad people have families who see good in them. So, and vice versa. I, I think I'm a good person. I'm also like, I can be kind of an asshole. Um, I get too emotional. And I think really like finding those traits, even in the good guys, has made me really enjoy even writing the characters who I think started off as sort of these two dimensional, good, like, good guys. Mm, I love that. I love that. So, can you give us like 
because it is a podcast, can you give us like a little visual of your fantasy um, characters that you use um, totally. for so the characters? I, I've done this since the beginning. What I, I call it um, representing the characters. So yes. I use the image yes. of just basically known actors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not playing them, but I do find, I find it useful to have a visual in my head and I know it helps people. Some people will message me and be like, that's not who I picture at all. And I'm like, that picture whoever you want. But the reference point helps. So mm-hmm. for the main fishers, the matriarch, um, Paula, is represented by Erica Slezak, who was Vicky on One Life to Live. Love her. And she just, she feels so sort of like the composed matriarch to me. I think Paula is less of a, she's not a businesswoman. She's mm-hmm. a stay-at-home mom. She's, you know, she's sort of the backbone of the family. Mm-hmm. Um so she, that's sort of the, the big touchstone. The kids, her kids are portrayed by Tim is the oldest. He's portrayed by, um, I hope I'm saying this correct, Rower Crislow, who played Mike on Days of Our Lives, who's actually appearing this week for the first time in like 12 years. Um, Molly's played by Vanessa Marcel, who was Brenda on General Hospital. Um, oh, I love her. Sarah, I love I, Vanessa she, Marcel. Okay, funny, funny sidebar before I continue. Have you ever seen the movie Serial Mom, the John Waters movie with Kathleen Turner? I love that movie. Okay, so in my head, I don't know why, this has been since the beginning of the series, Molly in my head looks like Ricky Lake in that movie. Yes, yes, I I love that movie. You can't wear white after Labor Day. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, you can't white. I cannot cast this fashionista, like, mother of two Mm -hmm. as fat Ricky Lake when she was 21. So it's Vanessa Marcel, but in my head, there's always a little memory of young Ricky Lake. Um, oh my God. I love Ricky Lake. I love her talk show when she was on. I remember being oh that, God. that young to watch it. And I also remember I seeing her it. on Crybaby. Yep. Yep. I know. I should not have been watching John Waters movies when I was 12, but yeah. here we are. Um, and then the other two main siblings, just to give you an idea, are Sarah is one of my favorite characters. She started off as sort of the Sammy Brady, if mm-hmm. you watch Day is that reference. Um, she was after her sister's man. She was a little unhinged. She's actually represented by Christy Clark with the Carry On Days. Oh my God, I, I love Christy Clark. She's so awesome. Much fun in writing Carrie, who was sort of the you know the good one, mm-hmm. as this like devious, bitchy, resentful character sarah has been probably i think she was the first character who i really sort of quote unquote found like a voice for Mm -hmm. um so she's a favorite and then jason's the youngest sibling he's represented by um daniel cosgrove who has been on pretty much every so um daniel cosgrove that's um if i'm correct was that billy lewis from guiding light it was okay yeah he also played kelly taylor's Boyfriend on 90210. Yep. All right. Great casting there. I like him. He's that. He's actually the only main Fisher who was ever recast. And it started out as Daniel Cosgrove. And for some reason, in the early 2000s, I recast him with Shane West, who was in um, oh, Want to Remember with Mandy Moore. I love him. And then around 2005, I was like, no, I feel better using Cosgrove. So I switched back. Yes, so I've done that before. the only time I've recast and then unrecast one yeah. of the main characters of things. I love that as a writer. You get that control. That's perfect. I was just like, this feels right again. 
Um, I don't know what made the switch happen in mm-hmm. retrospect, but it was interesting because it happened during a time when Jason was, he had his, his sort of true love was Courtney. Yeah. And during that early 2000s period, they were broken up. He was in a different relationship with her best friend. And then around 2005, 2006, I moved him and Courtney back together. And all of a sudden I was like, I feel like Cosgrove should be in my head for this. So I switched back. But it was like, the Shane West was almost used during a like a um, a diversion period for the character. So it's just it's interesting how your brain does that. Something. Even though no probably no one cares and no one noticed. Oh yeah, but, I love it. I love that. It's really cool. Which ones would you say are the complicated ones to write for? Um, as I mentioned before, I think it, it's more of a struggle. Mm-hmm finding the voice a a distinctive voice for the good guys because i think especially in that sort of you know james e riley wacky days of our lives type writing you do the good guys often are not well-rounded people they sort of stand around while the bad guys do really fun stuff Mm -hmm. so finding their fault i think molly was a really tough one for the first probably like seven or eight years of the series because she was sort of pristine. Um, she was tough. Then there's characters who just don't, they don't click. And more often than not, it's genuinely my fault because like I didn't plan them well enough. Um, we live and learn. Yeah. You, yeah. You just, you do. There was a character named Graham who was kind of introduced as this wealthy older dude. Um, he was portrayed by um, Peter Bergman, who's Jack, been Jack on the Animal forever. And my intention was to pair him with Sarah, who's Christy Clark, and have her sort of, in a time when she was broken up with the guy who's her true love, sort of be taken in by this like wealthy older guy, only to find out that he was controlling and not quite abusive. Um, and he also turned out, Graham also turned out to be the biological father of Alex, who's another sort of my first gay character I ever had who's not related to the main family, but is very close to them. Mm-hmm. And I realized afterward, I was like, I'm not, this character is not taking off because I thought of him sort of, I only developed him in relation to these other people. Like yeah. who is he to Sarah? Who is he to Alex? But he wasn't really anything other than an antagonist for those people. So like I, I sort of short circuited the storyline and made him go crazy much earlier than I planned. Because I was like, he feels a little cardboard. Let me just go full villain with him. So he, I, I had planned for him to stick around a lot longer, and he didn't. Um, and then there was a character named Conrad who is – he was brought in as Molly's lawyer when she was on trial for murder. Mm-hmm. And my plan was to pair them romantically, and I did. But, like, he just sort of never came to life as, like, a – he never felt like a real person. And so after their kind of brief relationship played out, I moved away from it much more quickly than I intended. Um, I just sort of put him on the back burner as town lawyer. Yeah. And it's fine. He he works in that role. He's kind of, you know, he's interesting because he has some connections. But, like, I find the characters who are tough, who, who I ultimately can crack, usually it's because I didn't do enough work beforehand. Mm Mm-hmm to really figure out who they were or they're redundant with someone else. Um, and sometimes characters, it's weird. Even when you're just writing it, characters don't have chemistry. Like 
yes, Molly and true. Conrad just they didn't have chemistry on the page. And I don't know if that was I missed something in setting them up, but it just felt like I was checking checking stuff off a list. I was like, Well, I did this, I did this, I established their connection, they had a friendship, and I just never was like, Ooh, I wanna see them together or like mm-hmm. I wanna see them fight together. It was just kinda like, eh. So those are the toughest ones I think where I don't I either don't do enough work beforehand to establish them or I'm I'm mistaken about what kind of character they're supposed to be. Like Graham should have been villain all along probably. I kinda tried to walk a weird line and I don't think I nailed it. I like that. That's that's uh, that's intriguing. I love that. You you know, you, you you do that stuff and you recognize it and then you go, Okay, well I'm not gonna do that again. You learn a lot. Oh yes, so. you do. I've learned that through process of my writing too. Sometimes you just bring in a character, it doesn't click like you said. So you got to find a way to get them out, but not like daytime. Yeah, Daytime's out, okay, but they kind of get lazy in their writing. And the last thing they try to do before making a good exit, which I haven't seen in a while, they put a character in, in like either a coma or they kill him off. That's not yeah. really creative. My thing is also like, if I'm going to kill someone off, usually I'm like, let me make this work then. Mm-hmm. Like I, I killed um, that guy, Graham, the, the older man who Sarah married. She got pregnant with his baby. He became insanely jealous that she she was sneaking around with her ex, which she wasn't technically, even though she was still in love with him. Mm-hmm. And I had Graham drop dead right after she had delivered their baby. And there was a whole bunch of fallout regarding um, Graham's son thought he wanted custody of the baby and blamed Sarah and then came around and they got back together. But that kid is 10 years old right now and I'm probably going to age him to a teenager in like two years. And there's a whole story waiting that he doesn't know really why his dad died or what happened. And he's been raised by Sarah's true love, Matt, for his whole life and doesn't really know the complicated backstory. So it's like, I have a storyline in the bank for that kid's teenage years that's going to give Sarah and Matt's story Okay. that that Graham's death set up, even though it was a quick kill off. But I was like, okay, what do I got? In pl- how do I use this going forward? So I think that's the key. I is, love that. What am I getting out of this? Even if the character sucked, what what use can they serve? I love that. Well, before I get to my next question, this is your chance for our listeners and your fans and your readers to catch um, your attention, your own little personal uh, ad through your eyes. How would you promote your series of footprints? I think if you love daytime drama especially from the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, mm-hmm. my goal is not only to channel that stuff, but I don't see soap opera as like a dirty term. It's not a bad word. I think right. it gets a bad rap. My goal is basically to do, I love doing the big soap cliche storylines mm-hmm. in a smart way where you go, this is crazy, but it makes sense. I did a storyline where, a presumed dead character came back with a new face and went after the man she was obsessed with. And it was one of, I think my most effective storylines Yeah, because I really took the time to ground it. And obviously getting plastic surgery to have a new face is ridiculous, but I think I executed it in a way where you go, yeah, this is what this story is supposed to be. I did it with a serial killer. We did a huge story in 2015. It, began on new year's eve 2015 and played out through the year and then still into the next couple of years through the fallout um it was the footprint killer there was a serial killer oh my god i'm getting goosebumps who was leaving 
scene of every murder. Okay, you've and... got to send me the link to that because I love that kind of stuff. And also, Dallas has the parallel to you. Um, he mentioned that he had a character that she had plastic surgery to go after somebody, and then she returned plastic surgery. Oh she returned God. back to her regular self. Was, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I love this. He, he went one step further and really – I so I leaned in. He really has fun with that character because she is such a sort of like I, – I would say she's such a fire starter for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I sort of took a different road, and what I wound up doing, and I found it super rewarding. This was, I think, 2009. Mm -hmm. The character who'd had plastic surgery, she, what she wound up doing was – she didn't actually look like anyone else, which made it a little easier to buy. She just got her face redone. And she stole the identity of a woman named Sabrina who had been in a coma for years. And so she was living as Sabrina and the characters found out there was another Sabrina in a coma in Iowa. And they went and talked to her mom and started putting this together. Shannon, the character who, sort of, who stole her identity, wound up being this like really actually tragic character because sort of we revealed that she'd been abused as a child and mm -hmm. had just had never known love. And that's, we explained why she was obsessed with this guy. And then she wound up killing Jason's wife on their wedding night. Like she stabbed her to death at the wedding reception and then realized she'd still never have Jason because he was so disgusted by her. And she threw herself off the roof of the hotel where they got married. And I remember writing that scene. It was one of the first times I was like, holy shit, I'm going to cry writing this. Like, I feel so bad for this woman, even though yes. she's fictional. Yes. And B, she's a complete psycho. But I, I really felt like, ooh, I tapped into some really effed up, like, just interesting stuff here. And I, I wouldn't have kept her around I was tempted because she was going over so well, but I was like, this is going to get old. And I would really rather have this go down as one of the, I think it's one of the, the storylines and scenes that if you asked any of my consistent readers, their top 10 or top 20, I think it would absolutely be mentioned. Um, because it just wound up being this like incredibly heavy, interesting thing. And then I, you know, I had Jason who had been a, a character from the beginning he then not only he had to deal with the fallout of his wife dying on their wedding night, leaving him with a baby and his grief basically powered, I would say another five years of story. So I love just finding those little openings in the story and going, okay, I'm ending one thing. Every story when it ends, unless it was absolute garbage should open up the next story to me. That's how, that's how you do this. Yes. I love this. I think it's, that's why we love the, the soap format. You're always doing it. It never ends. Yes, exactly. Uh, what is your message from your series that you want your fans, the readers, and our podcast listeners, uh, what would you like them to get from that? I think thematically, like I was saying before, um, the idea that the reason we're all here ultimately mm -hmm. is love and connection. And I think everyone has a different way of going after that stuff. For some of us, it comes very easily. For some of us, we have to work really hard. Some of us are born into families who, who offer that from the outset. And others of us have to go out into the world and, and find our quote-unquote family. And I think that's sort of the basic tenet of the series. 
is everyone needs that, whether you want to admit it or not, admit it or not. And that's sort of what fuels our biggest decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think people who really want wealth and power, not to not to stereotype, but I do think that there's an element of those people who are using those things to fill a hole that existed in their upbringing or, you know, in their, the emotions they've been given back from others. So it's not all about romantic love. I think the series is as much about the couples as it is about the, I mean, some of my most popular relationships on the series are friendships. There's Jason and Alex who Jason's the, the Fisher's youngest son. Alex is his gay best friend. They, I think that's one of my most popular friendships. Um, Sarah and Diane, who were these two kind of bad girls who wound up unexpectedly bonding. I, I did not plan their friendship at all. Mm. Um, but I remember in 2001, Diane, who's played by Lisa Rinna, and Sarah, who's played, quote-unquote, by Christy Clark, um, Diane came back to town, and she had had a really nasty history with Sarah's older brother. And they had a run-in... And then sort of realized they were more alike than they had originally thought. And they started bonding. And it was a whole mess. Sarah's family was horrified that she'd bond with this person. But at the same time, it was like she had found a kindred spirit for probably the first time in her life. And those relationships to me are as as crucial for the series as as the quote-unquote, you know, super couples and the romances and all that. So I, I really think at its core... It's a series about connection and love and the things we will do or avoid doing in the name of, of having those things in our lives. Because ultimately, none of us, none of us lives alone as much as we might want to. We're, we're a social species and we, we crave all of that and we need it. And I, I really think it's a series about those bonds that we form and those bonds we shouldn't form um, and, and finding the ones ultimately that best serve your life. I like that. That's very profound and very deep. I like that. Do you, you have any... kind of, it's taken me 25 years to really be able to articulate that because at the beginning I was like, I don't know, love triangles. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I get you. Crazy shit. People falling into a vat of acid. Yeah. Sure. Do you have any new projects that you can tease about? You know, I'm not doing, I'll just, I'll just full on plug here. I'm keeping my focus in terms of web series on footprints because it's such a such a, a passion project. Um, I do run a blog called What Happens in Salem. That's a Days of Our Lives blog, um, and I, I you know I update it maybe like two to five times a week. So I just kind of my my humorous commentary on days. I'm also, as I mentioned earlier, um, a TV writer by day. Um, I worked on a show called Firefly Lane that premiered on Netflix in 2020. And we have two more seasons coming out. I believe season two will be coming out this December. Um, and then I just finished writing on a series that will air on Freeform called The Watchful Eye. And that's set to premiere in January. So those are things on TV that are on. Um, I did not, I don't, I didn't create them. I don't own them, but I wrote multiple episodes of them and was part of the writing staff. So if people like my work on footprints, hopefully they'll enjoy those as well. Okay, so just for clarification, that's Firefly Firefly Lane. That was on yep. Netflix? Yep. Okay, and then the other one is called Watchful Eye, and that one is on Freeform? Yes, and it'll be on, I think, Freeform and Hulu simultaneously. 
Okay, and they're already available? Firefly Lane Season 1 is out. It's on Netflix. Um, it did really well. It's, it's a okay. really lovely show. It's sort of a love story about two women who are best friends. Like, it, 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 in a way, very similar to Footprints. It's okay. the story. It stars Catherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk. And it's really, it's told in three time periods. It's the story of how these women are ultimately the loves of each other's lives in spite of, you know, the men they're with and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really wonderful twist on, I think the traditional rom-com where the through line is, Oh, it's the two of you. Oh, I love that. And what about watch for I, is that already on freeform? It, it's premiering in January, 2023. We don't have a premiere date. Um, oh, okay. Great. Great. January. It's about the, the real short pitch is, it's about a young woman who takes a job as a nanny in a really elite New York City apartment building, finds out that the mother of the family she's nannying for um, died by suicide six months earlier. And she gets wrapped up into this, not only the mystery of did this woman actually take her own life or was something more nefarious done, but she gets swept up into sort of the, the really seedy, complicated underworld of these incredibly rich people who are obsessed with kind of money and status over everything else um and there's a there's a bit of a supernatural element to it as the pilot shows so i have not seen the finished series yet but it was a blast to work okay awesome thank you so much for giving that information i appreciate that um i definitely want you back i want you back here hopefully in november for November sweeps and get more updates. And again, I want to again, um, give my happy anniversary for your, uh, web series of footprints. Thank Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And, um, I'll add your information of your, um, website to the podcast description. So your, um, our listeners and your fans can go there through the hyperlink and I'll take you straight there. Perfect. It's easy. It's fpsoap.com. Uh-huh. Um, and thank you for having me. It's a blast to do. Yeah. It's good sort of, you know, meeting and connecting with people who are like-minded. And I'm going to check out Arizona Heat. I, I need more stuff to listen to. Oh, thank you. It's so sweet to hear. All right. Well, I'll be in touch so we can uh, get you on there. Cool. All right. Well, you have your, uh, oh my God, it's already Saturday. Have a great Saturday. Yeah. And, um, Take care of that dog. It sounds really cool. I will. I know. Your, your cat's been very good during the recording. I'm impressed. Yeah, he's asleep right now. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, thank you he for stayed up. Really he stayed up late, so he's he's uh, making up for it. <laughs> that was perfect. All right. Well, thank you again. All right. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. And uh, I'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, Siri, play Teacher by Nick Jonas.
So let me teach you.